Welcome to our podcast, Schizophrenia, Three Moms in the Trenches. From the place where schizophrenia and real life collide. East Coast, West Coast, Middle America. With Miriam Feldman, Mindy Greiling, and Randy Kay. This is episode 22, and we kind of thought we would take the summer off, but we just can't seem to stay away from each other. So I'm excited, and this episode is just Carson's story, and we'll tell you a minute, a minute about Carson and, and how we met him, and I guess, Mimi, you know him from before, and this is a story that when I met Carson, he just inspired me so much. I, I just want, I want to get the word out so that it can inspire other people. I, I, I just want to mention a couple of things first. First of all, Mimi, your book came out in paperback. What do yes, we need to know is. about that? Is that? Um... It's very exciting. It's in paperback, more affordable, um, available at all the places where there are books. And um, that's the news. <laughs> and that's the news. And the book is He Came In With It. Very, very highly acclaimed and a wonderful book. If you're, this is the first time you've listened. We always assume people know about our books, but they may not. So Mindy, anything new and exciting in your world? Your book is Fix What You Can, which you're still doing. Right. And my book was in paperback from the beginning. So I didn't, I chose to make it affordable. I, so it came out in paperback to begin with. Um, my excitement is that our family was all together for the first time in over a year. And we were all in Washington, D.C., where Jim flew with us. He hasn't been there for a decade because he just wasn't up to it and wasn't doing well. And so that was very exciting um, for us to have him be so healthy that he wanted to go and he was excited and we all had a good time. That's so wonderful. What's, you know, ordinary to other families is miraculous to us. So... I'm really happy about that. And the only other thing I want to mention before we get right to our guest is that we have a new opportunity and I just launched this and we'll find a way to get it on your websites, Mimi and Mindy as well. But right now it's just living on mine. Somebody contacted me and said, "Would if people want to tell you their story, would it be helpful if they could just go on a website and click a link and just talk? And I said, sure, that would that would be fantastic. Sometimes people send us letters and tell us their stories. And we're going to devote an episode in the future to other people's stories. And I thought it would be good to have some audio. And so right now on my website, benbehindhisvoices.com, if you go there and you click on the menu where it says, tell us your story, you'll see right there on the website, you click a link and you can just start talking. And if you don't like what you recorded, you can start all over, just like any voice message. And we've already gotten a couple of stories come in. There's also a link on there where you can click and hear other people's stories. So I'm pretty excited about this because we're not the only three moms going through this. We're not the only three families going through this. Look in the description box for who was kind enough to provide us with this opportunity for you to tell us their story. Last weekend... I got to meet Miriam Feldman herself and Nick in person. And we hugged. We (laughs) hugged for real. Our vaccinated selves hugged outdoors. And I got to meet Nick. And I, you know, I feel like I've known you both for years. Mindy, you and I have never yet met. 
in real life, but we mm-hmm. will. And I'm sure it will feel the same way it did with Mimi, which was just like, oh, it's Mimi. So that we didn't, we didn't get a lot of time to chat, but it was just that experience of having a, a real life encounter. And it was at Rob Laitman's house. And you can check our back episodes for the episode we did with Dr. Laitman about Clausrill and, and about his team, Daniel, and the, the family of people that he loves and treats. And everybody was there. And there we met the most incredible man who's going to be with us in three seconds. In fact, Carson, if you can start your video, you can appear on the screen. Good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm uh, back in Arizona. Just got back from the party that we all had. It's mm-hmm. quite a party that um, Dr. Lehman threw. Right. Now, had you met Dr. Lehman in person before? No, I had never met him before. I'd, the man is, he, he's a pretty interesting guy. Um, <laughs> It's more of a myth than a man, really. That's yeah. That's kind of that's kind of interesting. And and again, if you're listening and you don't know who we're talking about, there's a past episode where you can hear all about Dr. Leighton and the work he does. But Carson, I was so excited to talk to you and and your mom. Uh, but mostly, I spoke to you about your story and your journey. And I just hope you'll tell us your story here. This is what this is all about. We don't have specific things to ask you, but I know you've gone from, should we say a low place to a place of incredible accomplishment? Is that fair to say? Um, yeah, I guess that, that is fair to say. To some okay. extent, I don't know. All right. So you, you know Mimi, you met me. This is Mindy. Hello. And we hi, all hi, have- person. We all have sons with diagnoses of schizophrenia, although they may or may not agree with that diagnosis, but the, they're all in their 30s. So I think a little older than you, right? Yeah, I'm uh, 21. You're 21. So you're, you're earlier in the journey. And I, you know, I was just so inspired by your story. So I, we would all just love to hear it. And just like any other moms, we're going to ask you some questions, but... <laughs> Why don't you start by by telling us in your own words a bit about your journey, like where you've been and mm. what happened to turn you around any way you want to say it? Well, I do have kind of a lengthy journey, sort of. Um, I mean, a lot of people, you know, find that they have, you know, if you are going to develop some sort of a schizophrenia spectrum disorder. Um, I, I personally found out, uh, I think, around when I was 17 or so. Um, not diagnosed, but I, that's when things in my brain, I could uh, begin to tell we're not do we're not working correctly and we're going wrong. Um, particularly, um, I think my junior year of high school, I was, uh, um, getting high a lot. I was smoking a lot of pot and, you know, um, a lot of, uh, I think the medical opinion, the medical consensus, I guess, is that, uh, drugs like that can sort of in not necessarily induced but more unlock um you know a person's symptoms who are predisposed to it so i that may have happened in my case i mean who knows what ratio of predisposition to um drug use it was um but you know there's there's not really any uh history in my family of you know uh, schizophrenia type disorders or really anything um so so it was an interesting time for me um you know, I, I, and the, the most difficult part of it was, is that I was very, very unhappy at the time. And I felt like I had a lot of things to do 
when the things in my mind started to uh, do things they were not supposed to do or, or, or you know, general symptoms, right? And are you are you willing to say more about what that felt like or what you, and you don't have to share anything you don't want to share, but I haven't never really heard it from my own son. What, all I remember exactly. is his saying to me, I used to be happy. Why am I not happy anymore? Mm. And can you share anything that you remember about that time? Or you can just leave it at what you've you've said is fine. Well, okay. So I I think I used to describe it a bit like, um, you know, when you get, I guess when you smoke uh, cannabis, right? Um, You you have this sense of greater perception, I guess, um, and a little bit, you know, euphoria. I felt that I was having the perception without any of the euphoria. So it was uh, overload of mental stimulation wherever I was. So if I was in class, I would like, you know, constantly my brain wouldn't stop thinking about, you know, the teacher and, and oh my gosh, the students around me. And oh my gosh, what is, it, it was almost like a, my mind was like a train that I couldn't stop. And it was incredibly debilitating. I don't know if I can get the analogy across correctly, but um, I, I felt like my brain, I had no control of it and it was flying around in different ways and, and making up stories about, you know, paranoias and, and all sorts of crazy stuff. And it was really absolutely terrible, especially given that I had a lot, um, the time when it hit me is probably my junior year of high school around then I had a lot of responsibilities. Um, I was, you know, an AP student, I was taking fricking, uh, calculus three differential equations <laughs> I was you know I was going into it or, or whatever I think I may have been my senior year but I was also I was I had just won like student body president I won the the school election and I played on the football team and I ran track and we had just gone to state my junior year yeah because I, I ran the in the four by four relay and we had done pretty well I think we placed like fifth at state but you know we were going for you know, higher. So I had a lot of stuff like lined up in my life. You know, I, I wanted to, you know, get good grades in math and, you know, do well in track and do well in football and et cetera. And, you know, have friends, have a girlfriend or something. Right. Like, um, but the symptoms in my mind were so just intense that I had incredible trouble really focusing on anything. Um, and just like my, my emotions were tied up into these thoughts, right? So if you're having constantly panicking thoughts about everyone, you know, looking at you like, oh, that person doesn't like me, you know, oh, that person's going to tell other people that they don't like me, right? You know, it's really hard to focus on the things that are important in your life. So, you know, my senior year of football season was absolutely horrible. I couldn't really focus on anything. And, you know, I, I didn't do super well. I, not as well as I did my junior year. Um, and, and it was difficult. And then track, which I, I enjoyed more. So when the spring came around, I guess, in my senior year, and these were still, the, the symptoms didn't go away. I didn't tell anyone about them because I was really ashamed of them. I, I didn't want to be seen as different. I didn't want to be seen as weak. Um, just because I didn't want to be that kid that's, you know, has schizophrenia. And you know, no one really wants to, to admit that, right? Especially at a young age. Um, you know, now, of course, it's a little different. But at the time, I was 
I was completely closed off. I had crazy stuff going in my mind. And it wasn't like no one knew that because I didn't tell them. A lot of people thought I was acting weird, sort of. Um, but yeah, my one of the biggest disappointments, you know, I, I, I try not to say regrets because, you know, we, we live our lives and, and, and obviously things don't go our way. But my, one of my biggest disappointments is that I didn't get to run track my senior year because all my friends were on the track team. Our track coach, you know, believed in us so much. Um, and, you know, I even did, we were doing a bunch of off-season workouts with him and we even went to an off-season meet. But after that, you know, I couldn't separate my brain from all of the insanity that it was thinking about and, and connecting things. I couldn't even separate it enough to just focus on a, running a workout. Wow. So did, I, it, did it scare you? Yeah, it scared me because, you know, I thought, you know, when you're growing up, you kind of trust that, you know, nature, you know, at, at a certain age, I'll, I'll grow taller at a certain age. I'll, you know, go to high school and have friends and then et cetera. You don't really expect your brain to completely, you know, go haywire and, and, and not be able to stop it. Um, did you so, have yeah. any of those feelings before you used pot or did they all come afterwards or was it some before and some after? Not really before. Um, you know, I, it, it took a while. I always had a bit of a strange reaction to pot in general. Um, but, you know, more and more and more it became that, you know, even w- when I wasn't high, I was having plenty of mental things going on, right? And none of the euphoria. So it was sort of a terrifying, terrifying world my brain was creating. Um, and, you know, that really led to impulsiveness on my part, you know, because my brain would lead me to say, oh, you need to do this or, or you need to do that. And I, I think I was doing like really crazy stuff. Like I like completely disassembled a printer once or, y- you know, I would. <laughs> I, <laughs> We've all seen things like that in our sons. <laughs> no, right. there's no shame here. Believe me. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a thing. So, yeah, I as I was saying, a huge disappointment was not being able to run track because eventually I made a decision, which I may have been, you know, a mature decision on my part that said, you know, I can't do this. I need to focus on, you know, myself and my brain and my, you know, well-being. Um, but unfortunately that is not where things stopped. That was not the happy ending because, you know, that was when I was 17. I'm 21 now. Um, th- things had gone on for a while. So I, I, I went to college, um, uh, you know, in 2018, I think I started at Arizona State and I took the opportunity of being, you know, not in the house to smoke a lot more pot. Um, so, and, you know, nowadays, um, you know, the quickest, easiest is with like wax cartridges. I don't know if you guys know what they are, but they're, they're little things that you attach to a, to a, to a pen, sort of like a vape. Um, but they're up to 98% THC, which is, you know, the active chemical and marijuana and it's what primarily gives you the, you know, the effects, you know, they sell CBD stuff because it's, it's sort of the, the negative, you know, and it balances out. Right. It, There's know. those two, those. Yeah. So this was a lot, str- lot stronger. So it's kind of like e-cigs, but it's with pot. I know about dabbing. I don't know about that. So well, well, it's uh, it's similar to dabbing. It's like a little um, 
similar to e-cigarettes. It's a cartridge that has, you can see the oil in it in like a little glass container and it, uh, you just suck on it and it creates smoke, which, you know, gets you high. I mean, it's pretty simple, cheap. They don't smell. So, you know, a lot of high school kids, you know, bring it into their high schools, get in trouble for it eventually, stuff like that. But yes, I was not taking care of myself in my well-being. I would do things like being in college. Um, I was in the honors dorms um, and I would stay up all night getting high. And then at the crack of dawn, the second the, the um, school gym opened and Arizona State is a huge university. It has a massive gym. At 6 a.m., I would go, I would go work out because it was, you know, part of my strange delusion uh, compulsions. You know, like I felt as if if I were working out and doing strong, it didn't matter that I was not going to class, sleeping all day, and getting high at night. Um, pretty Did much. Parents have a clue what was going on. You know, I know I felt very clueless lots of times, and you seem like you did really well in school and you know you're obviously really articulate and um you know I knew my son wasn't doing well in school and he didn't articulate everything as well as you did so I'm wondering if your parents were more fooled because you were doing so well or is it just you were so smart you were able to mask your symptoms or did they give you any input that they knew what was going on well I I was not doing well actually in college um, I was not doing well because I wasn't going to class. I wasn't doing my homework. Um, it just was not a priority for me at the time. Um, and that's sort of what they, what they, you know, my parents, I think my, my older sister, she helped them like look up my grades or something after a few weeks in the fall, you know, my first semester of college. And they were like, your grades are horrible. You haven't been going to class. And they, they took that as sort of a, okay, this is strange. We need to talk to him. And that's pretty much right then when they picked me up, I got in trouble at the ASU dorms. I can't even remember what it's probably just for walking around being too stoned. Um, They just, they said, you know what, this guy can't be here. Mm. So after that, I got sent to my parents decided to send me to a psych ward, um, a place and it's quite a horrible experience. Um, One does not ever really enjoy being a psych ward. I had to go to this, holding place before they could find me a bed in another psych ward and it was really horrible I had to spend like 48 hours like in a chair like in some room um and then I went to the psych ward and they have you know I was I was put on court-ordered treatment um and then they you know they assign a doctor to you to start doing meds and um the meds they they give you they like start everyone off with Risperdal Risperdone it's a antipsychotic it's been around forever it's like I guess that's what they start with and did it do do anything for you did it help you at all or what I had so tardive dyskinesia is um often a symptom of antipsychotics which is essentially uh you can't control your muscles I guess and um I guess that can manifest as shaking for me the 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 TD from the um from the Risperdal was uh it was pretty intense my lips wouldn't stop moving um it'd be like strange I'd be like looked like I was whistling and also trying not to whistle at the same time and my right arm would actually float up into the air like like a shoulder muscle was contracting um 
And that was actually happening. It was very strange. Uh, and I think that the staff there told my parents that um, I was faking it, but I was not faking it. And the, the crazy Man. thing is, is that that stuff can be permanent uh, if, it, if it goes on for too long. Uh, yeah, I thought that was just Haldol. I didn't know it was a Risperdal side effect, but you experienced it, so you know. Wow. Uh, well, it's not only Haldol. I saw I I we got, I got off the Risperdal, um, and then they put me on Abilify. I didn't want to go on Haldol because I had seen people on Haldol and they were like zombies. I they also put me on Zyprex at one point, and I was a zombie. Uh, but then they put me on Abilify. At that point, I like because I was really angry. I was yelling at the doctors. I'm like, let me out of here. You know, Carson, let me ask you something. Um, sorry to interrupt, but I'm really curious. What did you think was happening then? Did you think nothing was wrong with you? Did you think you did have a mental illness? What was, what were you thinking during this? So I, I knew that I was having problems in my brain and that things were going wrong. Um, but I really did not like anyone telling me what to do. Um, I did not like my parents, you know, petitioning me to have a court order to put me in the psych ward. I did not like being forced to take meds. I felt like that, you know, I wanted to, yeah, I, I was just fighting everyone and everything because I felt you know, disrespected. I felt, you know, put down, like it, it was really um, quite awful, but in my, in my mind, yes, I knew that I had problems with my brain, but I really wanted to just solve them by myself, mm-hmm. you know, by some means. Um, and I was really angry with, uh, with authority figures at that time. So yeah, do you feel better about your family now? Now that you're doing so well, or do you still well still anger? I'll get there. I'll get there. We're working our way, I guess. All right. Uh, So you're so there. You are trying various what I call Russian roulette of medication, but I I know it's that we we've all been through it with our sons anyway. Was that your lowest point or did you have a really, really low point that was a turning point for you or, or you discontinue, just go ahead with the story? Well, your own I would way. say this is around probably my lowest point. Um, I got out of the psych ward after like a month in there um, and I was on Abilify, which is an antipsychotic as well. Mm-hmm. And um, that stuff, I just wanted to get out so bad. Like I didn't even tell them about the, uh, side effects I was having. I was also having a variant of TD where you shake my legs when stand still. Um, if I wanted to like, you know, do something with my hands, my hands would shake. I could never, you know, if I wanted to thread a needle, I don't sew or anything. I haven't okay. probably threaded a needle in years, but, <laughs> but I would not have been able to. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I was having those, those side effects, but I just wanted to get out of the psych ward so bad um, that, you know, I, I just dealt with it. So for a few months, um, I was getting the Abilify injection and um, I was, I really wanted to get high. I was very, very interested in getting high. Uh, my, my mom wanted me to try uh, a, a youth group, an enthusiastic sobriety group. I was like 18 at this time. Um, and, and I did go to it, uh, to a few of their events, meetings, et cetera. And I really, really disliked it, um, mostly because I was so in my head, I was so angry. I didn't want to have any part in all these fun dancing and house parties and stuff. I would just sit there in the corner, 
just like angry at, at everything, at everyone, just mad because, you know, I'm, yeah, I, I couldn't stop thinking about, you know, the totality, like I'm so small, I'm never going to do anything. I'm, you know, but a bunch of bad, you know, negative self-talk and, and, and really just uh, dread in, in a huge way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to, to medicate for that, I'd get high, but that really only compounds the effect when you're not high. So, um, so yes, after that, eventually my parents put me back in a psych ward. I was only in there for, I can't remember how long I was having crazy dreams, put me on some other stuff. Um, I got out and then eventually one day my parents just, they had last straw. They sent me to rehab, to treatment, um, for, you know, marijuana use disorder, um, as well as I went to a dual diagnosis place in uh, Prescott, Arizona. So, so they treat uh, addiction to drugs or alcohol and uh, as well as mental disorders. And the two go hand in hand in a lot, a huge amount of the population that's going to places like that. Um, you know, people who are using drugs often have serious mental issues, to, you know, who knows what often, you know, possible schizophrenia, spectrum disorders, bipolar, you know, acute, I, I, you know, long-term depression, et cetera. You, you know, you see a lot of it. And, you know, going to treatment, I was so, so angry about it. Um, I didn't want to, I, just for the same reasons. I didn't want people controlling my life, telling me what to do. Now I have to go to a treatment place and it's going to suck. Um, but really that was the moment that things uh, began to change for me. Um, okay. So, so there you are, you're angry, you're young, you're struggling. You don't want to do anything. That was your mother's idea. I know that's always a part of what my son wants. Right. And you, you clearly have an addiction problem and you are where you don't want to be. And suddenly things turn around. So can you tell, uh, not, I don't know if it was suddenly, I assumed that and I didn't. So tell us about the turnaround and, and what happened next. Right. So the turnaround did not start the first day I was in treatment. However, well, I I suppose, I suppose it it began in some respects as in uh, going there was good for me, whether I knew it or not, Mm -hmm. uh, especially at the beginning. Right. And, you know, I got there and I'm with a lot of people who have a lot of similar problems, which is kind of nice, you know, not that they have difficult, you know, issues, but that I'm, you know, in a place where people understand me um, to a to a good level, and you know, Prescott, Arizona, is a treatment capital of uh, of of pretty much anywhere. I, I assume, you know, there is a massive population because there's so many uh, rehabs there. I can yeah. probably name like six or seven of them off the back of my hand, and Prescott is only a pop- has a population of about fifty thousand people, and. So, so yeah, I go up to Prescott, Arizona, which is, you know, sort of small town vibe. Um, it's up in the mountains of Northern Arizona. So it's not desert. It's, um, it's pine trees and it's really nice. And, you know, I go there, I live in a house with a couple, you know, a few other guys who have their own addiction problems, have their own mental health problems. And, you know, I, I talk to people, we go to uh, pretty much uh, an AA or an NA which is narcotics and honors. We, right, oh, yeah. I've, I've been all We're days. familiar. All days. Yeah. Uh, HA, CMA. I went to tons of CMA meetings. Not that I do ever did crystal meth, but 
but oh, that's you know, the same. Okay. they really don't care what you're, what you're there for. So just, just for framework, can you tell us how many weeks or how many days or how many months you were there in this rehab? Cause it sounds like it was very powerful for you. The heart behind the I'm on podcast is storytelling because every mom has a story to tell. I know that when I talk to my friends who are parenting and we share stories, we all end up feeling less alone and more capable of loving our kids well. You can find information everywhere on the internet. Some is bad parenting advice and some is pretty wise. We like to think there's a lot of wisdom on imom.com. And when you combine that signature wisdom with a great story, it brings parenting to life. We want a mom who's listening to see herself and her kids in these stories and rest in the confidence that she is the perfect mom for her kids. Check out the iMom podcast with new episodes every Monday. So what they do is, at least at the rehab I was at, they had three phases. Uh, phase one lasted for two weeks where they take your phone. They don't let you have any contact to anyone outside. They don't, they don't let you use like the house phone. Um, and, you know, at the time I was pissed. Uh, but, you know, now I see that's probably a, a good thing because you need to really stabilize a person, um, mm-hmm. especially you know, right, at, right while they're getting clean. Um, and then, yeah, after you stay there a while, you get on to phase two where you, um, they want you to begin volunteering. And then phase three, you need to have a job and then you exit. And the, the plan is 90 days, right? Okay. Um, however, there is a massive amount of variability in how long you stay there. Um, some people get out within 90 days, like they, they do their stuff and they're totally good about it. But, you know, I was not very good about it. My, my therapist counselor, um, you know, I, I kept telling her about the problems I was having and they were not willing to release me. Uh, the medications were not working as they were supposed to. So they, they wanted to keep me there, um, which was the right, the right move. Um, so I ended up staying there for a year, over a year. Oh, okay. All right. And then, so I also know that Obviously, that was a very powerful year for you. I also know that at some point you met Dr. Leitman, and I imagine had your medication switched to Clozeril. And I'm, I, I'm curious to see if, if that made a difference. And before I ask you that, and you can answer this or not, you're totally safe here to say, I don't want to answer that. Do you, would you ever say that you heard voices or had hallucinations? Is that ever a way you would describe what was going on with you in the past? Or is that not a way you would describe it? I would describe it that way. Um, Those things did happen to me. Uh, Very similar to uh, um, symptoms that I hear from other patients. Uh, You know, I was hearing voices, let's say like coming from other people, right? Not I knew they weren't speaking, but I felt like their energy was, was saying things to me, like, I hate you. And, you know, you're a terrible person. Um, you know, all while I'm in sitting in class trying to write an essay or something, right? I don't want to, I don't want to feel these things, but yes, uh, voices definitely. Um, I think hallucinations to some extent, I, I felt like I saw people like know, glowing or something uh, like mm-hmm. on the edges of my vision. So it was, it was interesting, but yes, there were certain uh, auditory and visual types of stuff that a lot of people have. Um, yes, yeah. but I, yeah, those um, those sort of tapered off towards the end. May have been 
um, due to the medications working a little bit. But um, yes, I had symptoms like that. And uh, it took a while for them to to work themselves out. And I did not stop start clozapine um, with Dr. Lehman. I, I started it with just my doctor uh, in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And then we sort of connected to Dr. Lehman because we heard, you know, through the grapevine, we, my mom bought his book, um, you know, that this is the guy in the United States uh, who's doing stuff with clozapine and doing a lot of good stuff with it. Yeah. And having, so this is so, you know, you're so funny and so smart and it's such a delight to talk to you. I'd like, can you share where you are now and how you think you got there? Well, so currently, I mean, I, uh, I'm 21. I went into treatment when I was 19. I left it when I was 20. So I've been out a little over a year now. Um, I have over two years of sobriety from every, anything. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, actually interesting. I go to a lot of uh, meetings, right? Like AA meetings or, or whichever meeting is being, ha- is being held. I've noticed down here and I live in Tempe, which is near Phoenix. Mm-hmm. There's not as many variety of meetings that I went to up in Prescott, but I go to plenty. And sometimes I'm a guy there who has, you know, more sobriety with than a lot of other guys or, or gals coming in, you know, um, people literally just getting sober, they're eight days clean. And, you know, they, they really need help and guidance. And I feel like I can be there for, for them. So, yeah, two years sober, clean and sober. Um, I went, have gone back to ASU um, and I'm studying mathematics and computer systems engineering, uh, getting good grades, right? Wow. Wow. Thank you. Yes, thank you. You're actually going to class this time, I assume. Yeah, yeah, I've been going to, yes, I, <laughs> yes, indeed. It helps. Yes, it does. It were, helps were you ever afraid of clozapine at the beginning or were your parents or anybody? Because, you know, some people build it up that it has all these side effects or you're going to gain a lot of weight. And obviously you did not gain a lot of weight. Were your side effects addressed at the beginning? Did they tell you about what they might be so you could help prevent them? Or how did that go? Well, I actually did gain a lot of weight, um, but it wasn't from clozapine. It was pretty much from the other stuff that I was on. Uh, that stuff caused me to gain a lot of weight. We pretty much moved to clozapine um, because nothing else was really working. So I wasn't, I was not afraid of it. I was like, okay, we'll try this. Um, and I trust you that you think this is a good decision. I wasn't afraid of it or anything. I, you know, of course there are um, doctors and sort of in like the, the, the psychiatry world, um, they use clozapine really late because I think a huge portion of it is because, you know, there's a whole registry for your blood draws and, and et cetera. Um, but it's a, it's a great medicine that helps a lot of people. Um, but yes, I didn't, I didn't really have any fears of it, but eventually when I moved there, that was, you know, when I stabilized, um, and I wouldn't say it was a hundred percent med, uh, you know, medicine that, that helped me, you know, move out of this dark place. Um, but it certainly helped create, you know, stop the the craziness in the brain and that allowed me to focus finally on myself, on what I want in my future, you know, on relationships, you know, the, just attracting good things into my life. Um, and so that's why I say when I went to rehab treatment, um, rehab treatment are synonyms pretty much uh, mm-hmm. in, the, 
in the rehab slash treatment world, um, you know, after I was there, maybe nine months, you know, I was volunteering at this veterans thrift store. I was um, going to, I, I'd started some classes at ASU online, right? I, I was taking like the basics. I was taking English one-on-one, you know, just to give it a shot. Previously, like a few months earlier, I had tried a summer class, um, like an engineering course, but I couldn't do it. I didn't have the level of focus, but eventually I gained that. And, you know, you build up slow, slowly and slowly. And, you know, at this point, I mean, I'm scheduled to take, I don't know, three or four classes coming up in a couple of weeks or so. So, you know, I mean, there, there is hope for anyone, really. Um, it can be hard to see and hard to find. Um, and really anyone has funks. I mean, no one goes through life not being, you know, depressed about something or disappointed about something or anxious about something. Uh, it's just people with, you know, schizophrenia experience that in different ways. And these ways may be incredibly harmful to themselves and to others. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a process. Wise beyond your years, and you do give us hope. So thank you oh, thank for you. thank you for that. I have one question. Um, since you're doing so well, and you've been sober for two years, and you've been on clozapine, how much do you attribute to the clozapine, and how much to being uh, sober? Would you say 50-50, or is there one that helps more than the other? You know, I I think. I would say around 50-50. I mean, it's kind of a difficult, difficult question to answer. Um, but certainly those are two, part, two parts of my life. I mean, you know, it's hard to, hard to know how much the, uh, the clozapine does. Um, but, you know, it puts me in a zone, an environment where I can live my life. And I, you know, chosen to eliminate, you know, drugs or alcohol from my life because they're harmful to me. And, um, they're, they're more dangerous for me than the average bear. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if I could qualify as that, but there, there's two things that, you know, are important in my life, but they're just one of many factors. Thank you. Two of many factors. I'm just wondering what your childhood was like. Did you, did you have an easy childhood? Did you feel part of the, the group? Yeah, I mean, how, how were you when you were a kid? And how you was know, you a kid? You know, I was a normal kid. Um, you know, I liked animals. Uh, <laughs> animals were, were pretty cool. Um, I don't know. I was a normal kid, really. I mean, I, you know, went through middle school. I was a brat, right? Like, you know, everyone is. I have two younger siblings. Um you know, one, they're both newly minted teenagers. One of them is just starting high school. Um, and, you know, you go through normal stuff then. Um, but yeah, I would say it was, it was, it was just a regular upbringing until it took, you know, a left turn really uh, into, you know, a really dangerous place. So you don't feel like you had an inordinate amount of stress or anxiety? You know, if, if any, like, are you staying at the moment or pre? Or, or no, when, and growing up, like when you were a kid. You know, because a lot of times they draw a correlation between trauma or, or anxiety and stress and the onset of these, um, these psychotic disorders. So I, I'm just wondering what you, if you had any of that. I, you know, I, any, that may be a, you know, um, that may apply to me because, you know, I did put some stress on myself. You know, I, 
as you know, as I may have said earlier, I wanted to do well in school. I want to do well in sports. You know, I want to, you know, be good at everything, I guess. And, and, you know, I felt maybe a lot of stress, which drove me to, you know, get high a lot, created an addiction, which, you know, pushed in uh, psychological problems. So, so, so perhaps that's where something originated from. Um, though I'm not, I, I can't be a hundred percent sure, you know, I, I have, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I, well, this, this would be sort of a final question from me, which, so if Mindy, if you have something else to ask, why don't you go first and then, okay. and then I'll do my, 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 kind of a wrap up question. Sure. My final question, Carson, is knowing what you've been through and then you said 50, 50 might've been the marijuana. Um, do you have, do you give your siblings any advice about using drugs or marijuana? You know, I, I do have younger siblings and, you know, they, they have had certain, you know, things they get in trouble for, I guess, you know, um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I feel like I just have to be there for them um, and know that, you know, I, I should give them my own personal experience. I don't want to sugarcoat anything. I don't want to, you know, not practice what I preach. You know, I'm not much of a preacher anyways, but um, <laughs> You know, I, I feel like being genuine with them and explaining to them that, you know, I've had problems, you know, you may have problems, know that problems are completely a possibility, you know, because I didn't think that, I didn't think it was really going to happen at all. I didn't even really consider um, that out of, you know, a certain level of drug use, mental issues could arise. I didn't think about it. I didn't know. So I would like them to know, um, really anyone to know that depending on the person, depending on what's, you know, the level of use, where you are in life, things can be dangerous. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say to them. And what I, that's what I do say to them. So. That's wonderful. That is great. So if my son were here right mm. now, and he is older than you, uh, and not quite where you are, although he has a, a lot of accomplishment, he's completed 60 college credits and until COVID recently wrecked his life, he was working full time. So he's doing quite well, happened to be on clozapine. He's not on it right now, but he's, he's doing all right, but struggling with marijuana addiction. So it's, boy, do I wish I could stick the two of you in a room, but, <laughs> but he is going to meetings and, and so he's, he's getting, uh, he seems to be taking his sobriety seriously, we hope. 22 days in after 35 days in the slip up, you know, it's a, it's a road, it's a road of shoots and ladders, but well, my, here, here, all right, oh, yeah, oh, go no. ahead, respond to that. And then I'll ask you my actual question I was leading up to. I, I well, just know that meetings um, are really healthy environments for really anyone to meet um, because it's full of a bunch of people who, you know, are, are thinking about very important things, you know, things in their life, their character defects as they're called and, and talking about you know <laughs> their trials and, and and really important fundamental things um and i would i would encourage anyone to you know check out a meeting at some point i mean there's certain meetings especially speaker meetings where um you know a person will share for you know, 45 minutes about their entire experience and um some of those can be pretty crazy you're like wow this if this guy can get his life on track to that anyone can yeah so. stories do that my question here is about 
taking medication potentially for the rest of your life in order to keep a brain in balance. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming it, so I know that for my son who really does quite well when he's on the medication and like you, it's not just the treatment. It, it's, it's who he is that helps him succeed. It's having a purpose. It's having structure. It's having love. All of these things help. I would never attribute success to just medication, but I do know from my observation that anytime he has stopped taking medication, he has wound up back in the hospital and I'm not always the one to put him there. It's sometimes the police. It's many other things. He does very well and can succeed very well when he's in treatment. But I know given, I'm not asking you to solve my son's problems. I'm using him to represent other people. Given his druthers, what he'd rather do, if he were in his own apartment and not having a nurse come to visit, he would probably voluntarily stop taking medication. Mm -hmm. If you had any advice for someone in that situation who wishes more than anything else to just stop, stop with whatever medication is helping keep their brain in balance, what would you tell them if you could? Mm. I had a thought. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I would say to them, you know, understand the patterns that you put yourself in, you know, um, obviously, you know, you can see unhealthy things in your life. And until you recognize that it's unhealthy and it's, it's healthy for me to be around people that love me, it's healthy for me to push myself to do you know, things, not just for myself. Um, and understand that taking the, the medicine you know, maybe it's not what you want, but it could be the, the right thing for you and, um, you know, allow you to, to be in a better place than you were. Okay. Thank you. If you <clears throat> meet a girl or a guy, I don't know, you know, but I mean, someone that you might have a potential relationship with, can you, are you willing to tell us if you share at some point that that medication helps you keep in balance? Like a diabetic might say they need insulin. Is that something you, not with strangers, obviously, but if you're going to get into a deep friendship or relationship with someone, is this something you talk about or you keep it to yourself? I would completely talk about it. I would not keep it to myself at all because, you know, you don't, I, you, you would never like keep that secret from, you know, a person who's that close. Obviously, yeah, like you said, complete strangers I'm not you know perhaps if the context if I'm in a in a waiting room at Dr. Laitman's place I might start talking about what meds I'm on um but yeah in terms of like a like a relationship like that I feel like it's something you know you you shouldn't be afraid to be open about and I feel like a lot of people um in my situation a lot of the kids you know who are at Dr. Laitman's party that I met they're all really open about it, which is cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, awesome. that's what I'm saying. We have come to near the, uh, near the end. I just want to give anybody a chance to have any, any final words. And I just want to thank you, Carson. You have been a godsend. I think your story is going to help and inspire a lot of people and lead to more understanding. So I just want to thank you. Thank you for having I'll me. Say, I'll say ditto what she said. Thank you. <laughs> all right any final words carson um (laughs) uh just thanks for having me 
Um, you guys are great. I, you know, your, your sons are incredibly lucky to have you know, people that love them like you guys. Um, and yeah, I wish you guys well. Thank you so much. Thank and you. I know, I don't know your mom, but I did meet her briefly and I, I'm betting she's really, really proud of you. So thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for joining us for this episode of Schizophrenia, Three Moms in the Trenches with Randy Kay, Mindy Greiling, and Miriam Feldman. To get in touch with us or to learn more about our books, please visit our websites at miriam-feldman.com, mindygreiling.com, or randyk.com.